Hey everybody and welcome back to the MCU Exchange Podcast. My name is Caleb Borchers and I'm your host tonight. Uh, I have with me, sadly, only Rhiannon. And so Adam is not able to make it with us tonight, but Rhiannon and I are going to soldier through it anyways. So Rhiannon, how are you doing? You having a good week? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's been a great week. I'm excited to be here. Sad that Adam's not here. Oh, a poor one out for Adam. It's been kind of nice. Uh, you live, I think, like I do, where it could be very cold, but so far we are avoiding the snow, it appears, which is a yeah. very nice thing. Yeah, I snuck down. I'm in New Jersey right now, but last weekend I snuck down to North Carolina, and it was my first time with them de-icing the plane with like snow on the plane and everything, and I was very freaked out. But I made it back, and the plane didn't crash. But uh, yeah, the weather the weather has been fantastic, and I haven't looked to see if it's staying or not. But I'll take it right now. Yeah, just take what you can get. This is going to be our 2017 kind of looking ahead episode. Last week we talked a bit about TV shows. Uh, this week we're going to walk through kind of the calendar for this year, and we've kind of picked out one or two issues for each of the properties that's coming out. That will be um, our main discussion that we get to here in just a little bit. But first of all, we wanted to hit a little bit of news. Uh, there isn't much news, but we will talk about a couple things. Um, the first is that Patton Oswald is coming back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We found out that episode 12 of this season, which airs in two weeks, is going to finally reveal what's going on um, with the Caning Brothers. That's really exciting to me. It's kind of been a mystery that they have floated for some time. And uh, we haven't had Patton Oswalt recently. I think a lot of our listeners will know that they had sort of some personal tragedy in their family that kind of kept him out of showbiz a bit. And uh, it's good to see that he's apparently feeling up to being back out and acting. And I'm really excited to see him back. Do you have any theories, Rhiannon? Do you have any hopes for what we'll see out of Oswalt's return? Oh, I don't have, well, I'm just wondering because I, and I know we'll get around to talking about shield, but it seems to me like they're kind of pushing towards Coulson being public a little bit, but, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know. It just sort of made me happy because it just sort of pushed back to the good old days. You know, when I thought about Patton Oswalt coming back to the show, I thought about them, finding out Fury's alive and having, you know, just, it made me think that it was going back to some of the, the older, um, you know, plot lines and stuff. So I don't have any theories, but I'm very excited about it. And I love Patton Oswalt. Every time he pops up in something, he's just a great character. It's kind of interesting because I think a lot of people thought he might be, um, an LMD, you know, that like, that's what was going on. And now oh. that LMDs are being introduced, it seems like that would be anachronistic. But I don't know. It could be interesting if, like, if um, Radcliffe, like, thinks that he's a genius that's come up with LMDs. And then Oswald's character came in and was like, no, pal. We've had this stuff for a long time. You know, like, yes. you're not nearly as smart as you think you are. And here's all the ways to fix, your, fix the bugs on that thing. I think that would be kind of funny, so... Oh, that would be fantastic. 
Yeah, I would love that. That would make me happy. And and it would fit in. I mean, because I've wondered how they're going to have this whole arc with LMDs. Because to me, the LMD plot feel, feels thin. I mean, it feels like you have this one little thing going on in the background. So if they did crank it up a notch with something like that, that would be really exciting. Our next uh, story, I don't know if it's a big story, but the other one I think we're talking about uh, we've heard now that Black Panther is filming in Atlanta, uh, which is not a surprise. Most of the Marvel movies now do film in Georgia, at least in part. But also that we're going to have a 90s flashback that's going to kind of show us T'Challa as a young man, um, which is, I think, kind of cool. It'll be cool to see his backstory. I know Marvel's always debating how much it should be an origin story or not be an origin story. Um, do you think this is a good idea? Do you think they should go back into his past? Do you want to see just a little bit of it? Or, you know, how, how much do you think it, it helps these movies to go back to, like, childhood or young adulthood for some of these characters? Well, for Black Panther, we're going to be meeting more than just... I mean, it's more than meeting Chala and knowing how the Black Panther came about. It's also getting to know the whole universe, getting to know Wakanda, getting to know this world in which T'Challa's a ruler. And I feel like flashbacks might really help with that. Or, you know, it'd be part of the world building as much as introducing this hero. So I, I, I have no, yeah, I think it, I think I trust the Marvel creative team at this point. So if they feel it's important to go back and do flashbacks, we've gotten enough of them that might as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's some characters that just demand it. Uh, like when we had Ant-Man, we didn't have a ton of back um, flashbacks for Michael Douglas, but we had a little bit cause you kind of, you had to, to understand his background with his wife and his daughter, and all those issues that were going on. And when it comes to Black Panther, we meet him in Civil War, and him and his dad are clearly talking about something that's just happened. You know, there's like that moment where he's like, I'm really glad you're here with me, and he says, oh, I'm glad I'm here with you too, Dad. And it feels like they kind of like just came off of some kind of father-son thing. And it's almost like that was there to just tease us and make us kind of beg like okay tell us what that was about you know like where was that and obviously um spoiler alert T'Chaka dies like 30 (laughs) seconds later so there was no more of that information and so I just I think it's natural that we're gonna get a bit of a flashback and it sounds like some of this too is to allow Coogler to um kind of flashback to some things in his own personal life and really make the story a little more personal for him so that's that's good to me too. I think that's important to let the filmmaker kind of have that space. So, all right, next up, and I think really our last piece of news of any significance. We talked about almost all the Defenders stuff last week on the show, but this week Vincent D'Onofrio um, was asked very explicitly about Kingpin ever appearing in a movie, and um, this is the portion of the podcast where. Many of you, including Rhiannon, may cry at home because he was pretty clear that he does not think Kingpin will make a movie. Uh, The quote was, I would love to switch over to the movies, 
but I think it's pretty much been said it's not going to happen, or at least not for a very, very long time. I think Kevin Feige explained that, and that's what makes the most sense. He said the film universe is too jam-packed. I am sure I'm asking a question I don't know the answer to. Do you think the movie universe is too jam-packed to be able to fit in Kingpin? To me, it's more than not fitting in Kingpin. Yeah, I mean, we know that there's far more politics between the TV and the television, or the, t- the TV and the television, the TV and the movie side. There's so much politics in between those two. But what he's saying is they're not going to cross over at all, which we've heard in several different ways from other people. So, yeah, I think everybody wanted some Kingpin in the Spider-Man universe. And D'Onofrio has said several times, several different ways, like, no, I'm not going to be in Spider-Man. No, I'm not going to be in Spider-Man. So I think that's where it's sad. Like, we don't know how packed Spider-Man's going to be on the villain side. We know that there is a really big villain or three. Um, I don't know. I'm happy with him. I, I'm happy with him playing in the Daredevil verse. It is sad to not have any crossover between television and movies, though. I mean, because he's saying in a more universal way that there's not going to be any crossover, and that's what makes me sad. Is that you'll never get even the slightest like Nick Fury. Yeah, or could does that still leave? Over? I mean, because Nick Fury showed up in Agents of Shield. Right. Yeah, you know, is there a possibility that we could still get crossovers like that? Is there a possibility that you know Claire Temple could show up if the Avengers were ever back in New York City, or show up somewhere in Spider-Man? Yeah, you know, could the smaller cameos still happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, I, yeah. I love Vincent D'Onofrio. I do not. And God bless him for the way he interacts with Twitter. It certainly gives us things to talk about and to write articles about. Like, it's awesome. And I don't, I may be misunderstanding him here, but I just want to kind of like call BS on this idea that, um, that there's not, what, the universe is too jam-packed to add Kingpin. If there is room for the Tinkerer and the Shocker and Ego the Living Planet, and whatever in the world Thor Ragnarok is going to pull out of its butt, you know, like, if there's space for all that stuff, there's plenty of room for Kingpin. Kingpin is not a minor character. He's a significant big-time character, and he is a big-time Spider-Man character. And so, um, you know, that may not be what he meant with that, but I just think that, sure, there should be enough space for Kingpin and, I mean, it makes us all sad because we want to see these things cross over. Um, and, you know, if Kevin Feige is telling him, oh, I just don't think we have space for your character, that just kind of strikes me as baloney. You know, like, they could make space if they wanted to. The question is TV and movies and their corporate wars and all that kind of stuff. You know, like, I'm far happier when when people say, well, it's the production schedules and, you know, a season of Daredevil will get produced in nine months to a year, but it takes three years to make a movie. Like, I buy all of that. I get that. I appreciate that. But it is not like they couldn't find space. Personally, if I was in charge of this stuff, which I am obviously not, 
Um, I would love to see Kingpin as like the big bad guy for all of the Phase 4 movies. I think Phase 3 is just Hmm. so over the top with, you know, Thanos and galactic stuff and Infinity Stones. And you never are going to top that. So I would think that you'd be intelligent and smart to scale back in the next phase and to make it far more intimate. And so the idea of focusing on some movies with characters like Black Panther and Spider-Man and Bucky and just a few of these characters that don't have cosmic abilities uh, and maybe even do like a Daredevil movie and just make Kingpin and some sort of international terrorist ring like be the main bad guy, I think that would be really a smart way to go to just, you know, steer into the swerve as far as the fact that they have to scale down after Infinity War. But alas, it looks like it will be a very long time till we ever see those Netflix people in movies. So uh, yeah. just kind of sad to see that so starkly in black and white. So Yeah. And I, I, I don't think they would think the movies are going to go further and further from street level as long as the Netflix universe is covering the street level stuff. I, I totally understand what you're saying there as far as going from one extreme to the other. I just don't see it happening ever. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. It's going to be interesting because I think the question is going to be, is Marvel pleased that, uh, let's put it this way. Let's say that the TV and film people are as divided as they say they are. The interesting question then is, does Kevin Feige look at the MCU and go, oh, all the street level stuff is taken care of over there with Loeb and the TV side? Or is Feige saying, you know, our movies really lack a gritty street level like tone. That's like one tone that we've not done as a movie studio. We need to do one of those. You know what I'm saying? Like, is Feige yeah. content to let it just happen on Netflix or is he at some point going to get the itch to try it in the film side as well? Well, and we don't know what level Spider-Man's going to be. You know, maybe Spidey will be... I mean, if he's in high school and he's fighting crime on the streets at Queens, how insane can that be? Right. I mean, I realize it could be pretty insane, but... You know, when it comes to street level type stuff, maybe he'll be more down to earth. Yeah, I think he needs to be. I mean, I don't I don't think we're going to like I don't think people want Spider-Man movies with the giant, you know, blue cloud in the sky with aliens pouring through. So it's probably going to be good for Spidey to be kind of smaller level. I mean, the thing that I would really love that is just and I know now we're just talking about wishful thinking Spider-Man and Daredevil, to me, are just so much fun together because they're such contrasts, but they have similar kind of fighting styles and they swing through the streets. Like, I would just love to see Daredevil come in and out of a Spider-Man movie for like a period. I think it would be so much fun. Um, And it would be hard for Marvel because it's totally opposite, I think, of the tones they're going, you know, from like funny high school movie to gritty guys impaling himself with a fence, you know, TV show. Like yeah. those would be hard to put together, but if they did it well, it would just be, it'd be so much fun. So. Yeah. I, I, I that's where I would like 
I, I have several. I mean, being a huge Daredevil fan, I have several small Daredevil cameos that I would love to see in the movies. Um, just like a slight hint. I mean, there, there's all kinds of little things with that, but yeah, his interaction with Spider-Man, his interaction with Black Widow. Oh, both yeah. of those. Cause I mean, and I don't even, I, I just implied interaction with him with Black Widow, just like the two of them leaving a closet with everything else left up to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing explained. Like I, I, I yeah, everybody, Daredevil and Spidey, Daredevil and Natasha. Or Matt Murdock and Natasha. Yeah. I don't even care if it's Daredevil. It's kind of hard, though, because I think, like, movies and TV shows naturally compress comics. Because these comics have had, like, decades to go on. And so, like, if you take somebody who's had as many love interests as Matt Murdock has, and you put them into the relatively compress, compressed timeline of, like, a TV show... I think he starts to look unsympathetic. You know, if there's seven seasons of Daredevil and he has as many girlfriends as he had in 40 years in the comics, it probably doesn't make him look very good as a you know human being. And so I think that's a chat. I mean, it's the same thing a little bit with Spider-Man, you know, to fit in Gwen and Mary Jane and, you know, Liz Allen or whoever. It's just an interesting kind of challenge. True. And that's like a whole subject for another podcast that I feel like, you know, we could go down that rabbit hole as far as the love interests and how to fit them all in. But yeah, I think Black Widow has suffered from this a little bit. You know, yeah. like there was that kind of controversy where um, I forget, I want to say it was like Sebastian Stan or Chris Evans kind of made a joke about Black Widow and the uh, sort of love interest she's had in the movies that they kind of quickly apologize for because some of the language they used. But, like, there is kind of a weird thing when you watch Avengers. Well, you watch Iron Man 2, and she's cozying up to Tony Stark. And then you watch the Avengers, and it sounds like she has a past with Hawkeye. And then you watch Captain America Winter Soldier... And she's kind of flirty and all that kind of stuff that happens between them. And then you move to Avengers Age of Ultron and she's got this relationship with the Hulk. And it's like she's kind of running out of Avengers for them to not tease like a romantic relationship. <laughs> and See, it that's why it would be so... Yeah, go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, that's why it would be so funny for in the end to be like, oh no, I've been sleeping with this lawyer in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> I would kind of like, it would be such a throwaway, but I would just love like Murdoch and Banner to meet each other and like Banner finds out and you just see like his eyes start to flash green and then they just go to black, you know, and let that be the finish of it. Yes. All right. So things that will never happen. Now that we're done planning the love triangles for Netflix film crossovers, um, let's go ahead and jump into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, we're not going to spend much time on the ratings other than say they were terrible. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but last week was a, like a 0. 0.8 with 2.4 million viewers. This week was a 0. 0.6 with like 2 million. So literally they lost about 20% of the audience from last week. Wow. Um, so hopefully the DVR numbers are still good, but they weren't great. 
Uh, but this week we had a new episode focusing on uh, Mace and the Patriot. Uh, we try not to rehash those. If you're new to the podcast, we're not going to go event by event through the episode. Uh, Rhiannon, do you have a favorite moment? Anything that stuck out to you from this episode is really cool or really dumb or whatever? I, you know, nothing. I keep forgetting what even happened in this episode and I watched it. Um, so like nothing really stuck out to me except for, you know, just like the moment. Evidently, I just really love Mac these days. He has all of the comedic moments. Um, yeah, because he found the hatchet. It's yeah. not an axe, but he has a hatchet. But, um, you know, it got, us, it got us through. It moved the plot along. I feel like there were things that were happening, but none of it was incredibly memorable for me. So what did you think? Yeah, I didn't love it. Um, I felt like the writing was really uneven. There was a couple of, like, sections where it was so bad that it, like, took me out of the episode um there's like that scene where talbot is called by the president and he's got a ringtone that's like hail to the chief and i think okay that's pretty clever but then he like hits it over the head like excuse me i need to go speak to the leader of the free world and i was like nobody would talk that way you know like they'd hear the ringtone they'd know what's going on we're done and so just little stuff like that, just dialogue that doesn't seem like it rings true to the way people really talk. Um, I also didn't love this idea that uh, Mace is not an inhuman, that he's been sort of shooting up with super soldier serum. I thought it was really interesting, the idea of having an inhuman in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so now that's kind of taken away. I probably liked Mace more than most people did. I just thought he was kind of interesting. I liked that you couldn't predict the way he was going to behave at any given point. You know, it seemed like sometimes he was at odds with the team, but other times he seemed to be genuinely warm towards, you know, Coulson and others. And so I just feel like this kind of neutered him as a character moving forward. Um, this idea that Coulson's kind of back in charge... I guess it's fine. I, I, I kind of liked him being just an agent again. Um, so, I don't know. I felt it was pretty uneven. And um, it definitely felt like one of those setup episodes. Uh, I always go back to like the last season of Lost. For those people that stayed with that show, they got to where there was like a setup episode or two where they would like do things to get you ready for a big episode. And then there'd be a big fun one, and then you'd spend next week with people just in boats all week trying to get to the right place on the island. And that felt like this one. Like, they're just doing what they need to with the plot to make a good episode. And this whole one was just biding us time and positioning people where they need them. Exactly. Though I have to say, there were moments when you talked about like the dialogue feeling wonky... There were times with May that I had to actually remind myself that it wasn't a robot delivering her lines. Yeah. Like, Ming Nguyen, just however she's acting that, like, 
I was in it. I mean, I am in it. Like that character is a robot and it, it she's doing it very well. Cause I had to remind myself, this is the same actress just, you know, doing the same stuff. Um, yeah. Just to circle back to something we talked about last week. Um, Radcliffe made really explicit something that we were sort of guessing yes. last week that she doesn't know she's an LMD. Whereas Ada's like yeah. self-aware of that. She doesn't. Yeah. And, you were right on with that. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. Um, I'm actually watching Westworld right now. I know I'm like the last person on the planet to get to it. I but, still have to get to it. So, so I, I don't want to ruin anything for Westworld people or for you. But they do play with this idea a little bit of like, what if you were a robot who just thought you were a human being? And particularly, I love like the weird body horror kind of moment where like in in this show where she gets sliced and she puts her finger in the wound and like feels metal. And it's like, oh my gosh, what am I? Like, what's going on? And it's so natural that she wouldn't just like run into Fitz and Simmons and be like, hey guys, someone turned me into a robot, you know, that she'd like try to figure out what it is first. And there's just something very chilling and cool to me about this idea that you could think you're a person and then all of a sudden all of that stuff is turned upside down. Uh, I just think that's cool. It reminds me a little bit of like clone storylines sometimes are like that too. Where, like, you find out you're a fake. And the psychology of that, I think, is really cool. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see where she goes with that. And I think her reaction was so very good as far as being a robot programmed to have May's reaction. And her just immediately knowing she has to hide it and all of that. That was well done. Yeah. So, generally, I thought it was a pretty uneven episode, but... That's going to happen. It strike me as one of those episodes that when you have 22 episode like seasons, eventually you're going to get a couple of them. So, um, Also, best moment of that episode was when um, we've kind of been waiting for Mace to maybe pick up the cap shield, you know, as like the replacement cap. And so that moment where Coulson jumps out in front of him with his shield shield, you know, that's in that hand. And yeah. it's kind of like, if anybody's Captain America right now, it's Phil Coulson. It's not Jeremy Mays. Right. It's Coulson. He's the best. That, that shield should appear all the time. That's just the coolest thing ever. All right, let's um, move on to our main conversation. Uh, we wanted to walk through this year. And I'm just going to talk about the things that are definitely scheduled. Uh, we are going to talk about the Netflix shows, even though we don't have dates on those, because we're 80% sure where we think they're going to fall. And so we're just going to walk through kind of season by season. And with these shows, what we want to do in this conversation is just ask kind of a big question and get a sense of what's going to happen and how it's going to shape the MCU. So that's the desire with this, and hopefully we'll get you ready for the year to come. So I think the first big thing coming up for us is Iron Fist. 
Uh, March 17th, I believe, is the date, which is basically two months away. And this is going to be the fourth Netflix show. It's going to finish out the Defenders and have us ready for all these characters. We talked last week about how it's kind of weird to see like promotional material for the Defenders without even knowing one of the characters. I think my big question for this show, and I think, Rhiannon, you probably have some great thoughts on this, being our, you know, our Netflix expert. The Netflix shows have always been really big on being grounded and quote-unquote gritty, you know, like really based in the real world. But Iron Fist is a character that goes to a mystical land and pulls the heart out of a dragon so he can get the power to like focus his chi. Is that how how do you think they're doing this? Like how mystical do you want this? How do you think they keep this within the same vibe of what they've already created? I well I feel that they have been slowly working towards a more mystical vibe. When you look at, you know, going from Matt Murdock in his black outfit to the giant hole in Hell's Kitchen and the resurrection of dead kids as ninjas. There's a lot. There's a lot of progress that's been made there. Now, will we see Danny Rand punch a dragon? I don't think so. I mean, I might continue to think on this and change my answer as March 17th gets closer, but I don't think we're going to get to see him punch a dragon. I think they're going to take their own twist on this. And I think when we look at it, the showrunner did not start out as an Iron Fist fan. He is taking this from his own direction. So it's not like he's always dreamed of how he would bring Iron Fist to life. So I wouldn't be surprised if this one strays more from canon than we know or than we've seen. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to see if I can pull it up quickly. There's some line in the trailer that we got for Iron Fist where he like talks about where his powers come from and it seemed like they were already uh, just massaging the language so that his power comes from sort of a symbolic dragon or whatever instead of like actually coming from this ah. mystical battle or whatever. And so I think you're right. I don't think they're going to go to all those places. I think their budget may dictate that they can't go to all those places. And I'm just interested in how that works. And part of the reason I'm really interested is because I think most comic fans love the Brubecker run on Iron Fist that kind of spent a lot of time in Kunlun and a lot of times in these other mystical worlds. And I just don't think that's what we're getting. We're more likely to get like um, this latest uh, Iron Fist and Power Man series kind of Iron Fist, you know. Yeah, and in that, you know, big dump of information we got from Entertainment Weekly last week, uh, we learned that uh, Finn at some point said that Danny, that his story is going to be one about acceptance, one about feeling family. So I think there's going to be more about him coming back 
I mean, one, yes, I, Kanlun exists. Yeah, I think he's going to go and he's going to be have disappeared for ten years and come back. That part I is totally going to be part of the show. But I think his own series is going to be a bit about the street level in it with his family relationships, with him fighting for control of Rand, his his family company, and all of that. It's going to be that battle. And then, of course, I mean, because it is a Marvel show and there has to be the plot, the the, the physical battles and stuff, you know, they've changed it to him being an enemy of the hand and that the hand is going to be what he is against. So who knows how they work that in. But we already have the hand and we already have the mystical elements of the hand in this universe. We think Madame Gao is going to be there. There was some pretty, pretty solid, a pretty solid sighting of the actress that plays Madame Gao at the Iron Fist set. So, you know, and we, she hinted definitely about having some mystical elements. So I think, I think it'll be a lot of what we see already, what we already saw in season two of Daredevil. And it's just how much do we do we get to see on the creation there again, the creation story. How much of it will we get to see? Yeah, I think Madame Gao is actually a big piece because she managed to be just obviously mystical and otherworldly in Daredevil, but still feel like being a co-worker of Owsley and the Kingpin like made sense. And so I think she could be really helpful at, at all that kind of stuff. Um, I also just am curious about how it will go with the hand. Cause I know a lot of people with season two of daredevil did not like all the loose ends for the hand. And so if we get 13 more episodes of like mystical setup without answers and that hole is still just sitting there by defenders. I think some people are going to be like, enough. Okay, we get it. There's a mystery. Um, to make another Lost reference, we get that there's a hatch. Let us inside the stinking hatch, okay? We don't need any more questions. Let us see what's going on. So um, I, I think that's really... Iron Fist is the hardest one for them to pull off. And so... How um, how masterful these guys really are is going to be shown. I think Daredevil was awesome, but I also think he's the easiest character to adapt. And each time they do one of these, they're showing us how nimble they are as a production group. I'm just fascinated to see this last kind of hurdle. And I think the whole... I, I think a lot of the loose strings that were left in Daredevil Season 2 were very intentionally left and that we're going to see those wrapped up, if not in Iron Fist, in the Defenders. And yeah. I have all kinds of theories about that whole... I, If anybody listens to my other podcast, Super Ladies, like, we just recently devoted a whole one to talking about that whole. Yeah, and let's... We'll get back to that in just a minute when we talk about the Defenders as far as wrapping up the mysteries... Because I have a conversation I really want us to have on that, but we will get to that in a minute. 
because we're pretty sure that we're going to get Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 before we get the Defenders. Um, we're not sure, but Guardians is coming out the first weekend in May, the big kind of money spot for Marvel in the calendar. And um, we've talked about this movie a bit. We talked about the trailer a while back. Uh, I think my question for this movie is a little bigger, like, pulling back. Is there such a thing in the MCU as too weird? They just had a villain that was a giant purple head in Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's I mean, true. Doctor Strange... <laughs> That's what they, Doctor Strange went some pretty weird directions. Now, can they go to campy? To, you know, they, I don't think so. I don't think they can go too weird. I think the fans have, uh, the fans have accepted that as long as it makes sense for plot, that we'll pretty much accept anything. Yeah, it feels like we're on the opposite end of a pendulum swing. There was like the original X-Men movie and the Christopher Nolan Batman, which was like, make this as realistic as possible. I want the Batmobile to be a like tech vehicle or tactical vehicle from Iraq or something. And that has swung all the way to kind of the opposite end now where people are so mad that they haven't seen Wolverine in yellow spandex, you know, like people want the comic bookness in its full comic like effect. And so I, I think I agree with you. I think the challenge here is not weird versus not weird. It's kind of campy versus well done. And that's where we trust James Gunn. Like anybody else making a talking planet a character would freak us out. But we know from the way he dealt with Rocket and Groot that 20 minutes in, we're going to forget who that character is. Like I remember a non-Marvel fan, a friend of mine, posting on Facebook that he just saw Guardians. And he's like, how is it that a raccoon is my favorite character in the history of movies? You know, like, how did that happen? And it's because yeah. James Gunn is just so good. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, on the other side, as far as what fans are craving right now, I think I think everybody's looking for a little bit of escapism. And more. I think all of our interests are going to move more towards a little bit of fantasy, depending on how things are going in the world and the political climate and all of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if... if we're craving a little bit of that fantastical weirdness and yeah, we'll be fine. I I agree. I think it comes down to the caliber of the material and what we've learned is there's no such thing as too weird if it's done right. And something that's not weird can still be ridiculous if it's done poorly. Like, I don't think Green Lantern is necessarily a more out-there concept than the Marvel movies, but I think that the movie stunk, and so that's what people won't put up with. All right, so the next thing is probably going to be Defenders. We're not totally sure. Are you thinking a June release date? Is that where you're at about? 
Yes. Because, so, I, I think it'll, I, I don't know, I, I think June. It could be early July, but I don't know if they would want to do it right at 4th of July. And would they want to do it right at San Diego Comic-Con? Or right at D23, because, like, you have 4th of July, and then I think it's D23, and then the next week is San Diego Comic-Con. Well, and don't forget and, that Spider-Man's coming out July 7th. So I really don't I, think they want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think June. I hope June. I hope they're not going to put it off till, like, the end of June or early July. If they do, I am totally going to San Diego Comic-Con just to see whatever they show. Yeah, I remember us hoping that we would get Luke Cage, like, in July, and then they gave us that September release date, and it was like, no, Marvel, what are you doing? So, if they do that to us again, we'll have to pretend like we're going to boycott something we all know we're not going to boycott. So... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, I won't even pretend that. But I do expect a release date soon. I mean, I, I expect them to give that to us at any moment now. Yeah, and I think that June was really probably the best spot for it. Um, so I guess my question for this one, the big question, is that we've not heard them talk about sort of phases of the Netflix shows. Like we talk about the phase of movies. But it also seems... That they are trying to bring things together, as we talked about a little bit ago. And so I guess my question is this. Do you want to see the Netflix shows create the concept of sort of a Netflix phase? Where phase one would be Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Daredevil Season 2, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Defenders. And that's like a pretty self-contained unit. Or do you just want to continue to see the serialization across the board? And particularly within that, I guess my my thought is, like, I'm not sure yet if I want them to solve the mysteries of the individual shows here. Like, if the IGH thing is somewhat revealed in The Defenders, are they robbing Jessica Jones season two? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think they're going to leave plenty of that to be discovered. Like, I I have no clue, but I don't think that Luke Cage's brother is going to come back in The Defenders. Unless somehow he's related to this big bad that they're going up against. You know, I don't... I don't think that I, I think the IGH thing is way too big to be solved in the defenders and for them to still have a new big bad, you know, there again, unless Sigourney's we Sigourney Weaver's character is also pulling the strings on whatever creates IGH, which is also meddling with Rand enterprises, which is also, I don't know, getting Matt Murdoch's attention for some reason. I'm hoping that it's something brand new that brings them together and all those other strings hang out there for them to sew up separately. Yeah, because I think I have wondered if they are trying to do a big meta narrative where there's this one organization that uses the hand as their like um, enforcement wing 
and they do research as IGH, which included hiring the scientists at Seagate, and it's their chemicals that blinded Daredevil, and they're somehow corporately trying to take over Rand. The like all four of these characters are kind of like siblings of one another because they've all been created by this one entity, kind of the way that um, Oscorp was responsible for everything in the second Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man world. I don't think I'd like that. I just think it's a possibility. Yes. I I, I think it's a possibility. And I... I... I would love it if that's true. Yeah, I mean, I love it when things get wrapped up like that. And I have faith that they can come up with brand new conflict to move everything forward. I don't like I don't like when that comes like at the death of a character that could continue to be good. Like I'm still irritated that Jessica Jones left us no more Kilgrave. But yeah, if if it ended up all being some really intricate plot and it all wraps up and comes together, I'd be I'd be excited by that. I would geek out by it. I don't think it's going to be the case, but who knows? Yeah. Do you think um, just returning to like that first kind of part of that? Do you like the idea of thinking these Netflix shows in sort of phases that are punctuated by Defenders movies, or do you see them a little bit differently than that? I have no idea. I, I, I think we'll just have to see how it goes. If it means we get a clear it look, if having a phased process gives us a clear timeline, that is like, if we're talking 2017 wish list, I just want a timeline. I just want to know when we're getting what shows, like what year we're right. getting what shows. So if, if, Setting the course for another Defenders gives us a clear timeline, then I think that's a great idea. I don't think I like it being, uh, what is it, 52 episodes leading up to one big conglomeration that solves all these hanging threads. I don't like that idea. I like that the that for the most part these seasons have been self-contained and that they're all wrapped up in a nice somewhat conclusive narrative, uh, you know, with little pieces that can bring everybody together again. And I, I mean, I think there'll be other team ups. I think as successful as these shows have been, we'll see them team up again. Yeah. I think that, um, it's not a foregone conclusion that we'll necessarily get a defenders show, you know, every couple of seasons or a couple of years, it may be if it makes crazy ratings or whatever way they measure success, you know, if they get tons of subscribers from it, maybe the business will require that to happen. But I wouldn't mind seeing them have other ways to bring conflicts to a head than just force fitting it into a defender show, particularly if that means that they're going to force Misty and Punisher and all these other characters to all kind of become defenders too. Um, I'd like to be able to have those stories be a little more detached. So yeah, and I'd like to you know if it does lead to other team ups, let it lead to a Heroes for Hire or a Daughters of the Dragon. You know, open it up for other stuff for the other characters to step forward. 
Right. All right, so this brings us to the 4th of July, or the 7th of July, I guess, for Spider-Man Homecoming, which is the first solo Spider-Man movie overseen by Marvel. And um, I guess my question on this is, um, is it possible that this movie is going to be too much, or that it's setting up too much for the future? We know that Sony had wanted to expand Spider-Man to a whole universe. They were talking about doing villain movies and crazy rumors like there was going to be an Aunt May movie where she was like a geriatric spy or something. So we know that Sony is prone to that. Um, And usually I wouldn't think that Marvel would go that way. But they have three villains in this movie... And it seems like they're packing in a lot of stuff as far as the future of Spider-Man love interests. And they've got Ned Leeds in the movie. And they've got Iron Man. Um, Are you worried at all that this is overstuffed? Or do you think they'll balance all the villains here well? I think they'll balance it. I think we may have three villains, but we have one main villain and if it does set up, you know, it, it is a universe that we know is going to grow. We already know that there's a sequel, which there was absolutely no doubt that there would be more than one. We we know. Sure, they're probably setting a bunch of stuff up, but I have no doubt that it will be here again, that it'll be a nice conclusive movie that leaves a couple threads hanging for the sequel. Um. And if they do set up, I mean, I, I would be incredibly upset that if any of this movie is wasted in trying to set too much up for the future, that doesn't make sense right now. Yeah, I can't imagine they're going to make the exact same mistake that they made the last time they tried to reboot. Um, I, I just, I think we're still going to see how much of this is Sony and how much is Marvel. And that'll be just interesting to see how it shakes out. But, um Yeah, I think they'll do okay. I also think that um, one of these villains is probably going to have a role that's not exactly what we expected. Um, You know, Thanos was a secondary villain of Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's not like he dominated that movie or overstuffed it. He had kind of a scene or two, and he played a role, and then he was done. So... All right, um, next up is uh, September when we are expecting to see Inhumans into the IMAX. Um, I guess we missed this in the news. We do have a first director for the Inhumans pilot or the first two episodes, I guess, that'll be in IMAX. Um, and I don't know anything about that director. He's Is he from... He's Dutch, maybe? Is that right? I forget. Yeah, yeah. He's Dutch. So that's fine. I mean, I don't know anything about him, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, I think the thing that Inhumans makes really interesting to me is um, the Netflix stuff has worked because it's so small scale that... It can be kind of off in its own place and it doesn't have to bother the movies. 
and the movies are just so big that the television stuff feels like it's removed from them. But the Inhumans are kind of in the middle. I mean, I don't feel like you can make them a street-level hero, but they can't make them a huge deal because then it won't make any sense that it's in the movies. Um, so, you know, what do you think was kind of going to be best as far as the approach to the show? Do you want to see this be as standalone as possible, or are you hoping that this will increase kind of the connectivity between stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping this is a chance for the connectivity between things. I mean, um, the showrunner is the same showrunner from Iron Fist, which, you know, may or may not, there may be some mystical stuff in Iron Fist, and then that's the the feeling that he's bringing over to this, bringing over some of that bigger stuff. Um, I, I have no idea what to expect of this, but I think it will be more than what we see in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it will be a grander scale of worlds and what we see. I'm really... I actually want this to be very separate. Like, I'm okay if it's kind of like... Um, Doctor Strange had a certain by itselfness that I would love to see for this. Because a lot of the inhuman story is about this group of people that has to figure out if they want to be engaged in the world and help the world or if they want to hide away. You know, like they have that X-Men quality where there's a world that kind of dislikes them or fears them. But the difference is that they have the technology and the power to kind of stay away and to stay hidden. And so it's always like this um, interventionist impulse versus sort of like a non-interventionist impulse. And so I would like to see a thing where most of this series is either in the Himalayas or on the moon or wherever they put the inhuman population. And they're having this internal debate and somehow the conflict moves them towards saying we can't be isolationist anymore. We can't continue to pretend like we're not integrally connected with these human beings. And like the end of the series is them sort of announcing themselves to the world. And then we can see how that plays out in other TV shows and movies after that. So that's kind of the way I would like to see it go down. But I think it's going to be a real challenge to see how they do it. Cause I know there's already a lot of complaints that the amount of inhumans on shield makes it seem impossible that we never hear inhumans spoken about on, um, one of the movies, you know? All right. Um, we think we're, we know we're getting the Punisher sometime this year, but we don't have a date. Um, do you have a best guess right now, Rhiannon of where that's going to fit in? Yeah. I mean, I would say November. So kind of in that Jessica Jones time slot from a couple years back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless they're trying to squeeze something in earlier and they do it like late September, early October to try to fit Jessica Jones season two, early 2018. 
you know, if they want to try to get it earlier, like January, February, but they've really kind of stuck with this, the schedule. So I, I w- my guess would be November. Do you think, is there ever such a thing as too much Netflix? Like, is there going to be a point where Marvel needs to be careful not to oversaturate? Is three the kind of magic level for you in a year? I've my theory on this is I would be okay with more than or three more than three if they went down to say ten episode seasons. If if there was a little bit and and I know like yes, like I realize as a fan I'm saying I want less of them, but a slightly shorter season that can be more, you know, not have, it feels like recently all of the shows have had a couple episodes around episode 10, 11 that are just kind of fans haven't enjoyed as much. Yeah. So if they could somehow condense their seasons, make them more satisfying into 10 episodes and then maybe put, I mean, if, if it was like, Every year, if it was, we got a Daredevil and then a Jessica and then a Luke and then an Iron Fist. And we knew we were going to get that every year. Like my Valentine's Day is always going to be with Daredevil or something like that. That would be awesome. And I really think that, but you know, what other show has gone two, three years before a second season? This is a new territory, you know, other than like Sherlock. Right. Or something like that. You know, for seeing if the fans are still there, if they still remember the plot, if they still remember the character. Because there are plenty of people that don't even realize Jessica is mixed with other shows. Yeah, I think they're really gambling on these shows being intended for Marvel fans or people who are going to watch them all. But I know that I have a friend who straight up told me, I don't watch comic shows, but she likes Jessica Jones. And she tried Luke Cage and she was like, no, I'm not doing this. I like Jessica Jones. I just don't like the rest of that stuff. Yeah. And I don't think Marvel is factoring in enough those people. Yeah. Yeah. Will they still be around? When you go to watch again, will they still care? You know, and I think that's part of the Netflix thing. Like, are they banking on these folks going back and binging season one again so they know where they are for season two? Or are these people just not going to bother? And I don't know. You know, it's all such new territory. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So I would hope that they find a way to get them out more quickly. I would, I would honestly rather have team ups. I would rather have a show where, you know, I'd rather have like one defenders a year than have four, you know, one defenders and two individual characters than have four full seasons a year. But I don't know why I feel that way. I think one other interesting thing with Punisher is going to be just how connected or separate it's going to be from the rest of this stuff. It's the first show that's not part of this master plan, not part of this Defenders group that they originally planned on having. 
And so I'm just interested to see if they will take the plot in some different places geographically, excuse me, geographically, if they'll move it around a little bit. Um, I just think that's going to be interesting to see if this show is going to be different at all in feel or tone or any of that stuff. I'm with you as well. I'm really anxious for some sort of teaser for The Punisher, just so we have an idea of what we're getting. Yeah, and they don't really promote these shows, I feel like, ahead of time. I mean, I think we'll get one more trailer for Iron Fist, hopefully at the end of this month or early February. But I don't anticipate getting much Defender stuff until maybe after or maybe like attached at the end of Iron Fist. Does that seem reasonable to you? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably get... I mean, we haven't gotten... Have we, we, we only have a teaser for Iron Fist. We haven't gotten an actual Iron Fist trailer. So I think we'll have, you know, two or three trailers before it comes out. And they normally start coming out about a month before. So I would expect into February before we get anything on that. Um, Now I say this and at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, it could drop. Who knows? It's just so weird how different it is from movies. Yeah. Because it's like six months ahead of time you get a Guardians trailer. But Iron Fist is practically on top of you before you get anything for it, you know? Yeah, and I expect a lot of the Iron Fist press to sort of get wrapped up in in Defenders press. I think they'll sort of push a little bit of that along the way. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Defenders trailer at the end of Iron Fist because they'll be done filming by the time that comes out. So they could easily have a trailer ready. But we've already gotten like... We've already gotten like two defenders things, so we've they actually might gotten just... so little footage, though, right? Yeah, we haven't gotten any footage. We got the thing that was at New York Comic Con. I mean, San Diego Comic Con. They had the thing with with Stick giving the voiceover, but then we had New York Comic Con. They showed like I guess maybe no, it was just a little montage of what everybody's done so far. So, yeah, I mean, a real trailer at Iron Fist at the end of Iron Fist seems totally possible. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take any of it. So I think that brings us almost to the end of the year. The last thing on the calendar is Thor Ragnarok is headed to us in November. And the setup for this question is kind of based on my perception of that movie. Um, This is a big pot of stew that they are throwing crazy ingredients into. I mean, Thor Ragnarok is going to have a Planet Hulk storyline. There's going to be something going on on Earth with Doctor Strange and Odin running around as a homeless guy. They're going to have to introduce uh, Hela and Surtur and uh, Valkyrie. And they're also going to have Taika Waititi and his humor. And we've seen stuff with, you know, gourds and weird behind the scenes videos. And they're just like chucking all of that into one bowl to produce something. And so 
I'm suspicious this is either going to be one of the five best or the five worst Marvel movies. There's just so much risk going into this thing. Um, when you walk out of the theater in November after having seen Thor Ragnarok, what do you think is going to be the one thing, like that one element that's going to stick out to you as you walk away from it? Whatever goes on with Strange and Thor and Loki. Because it might be Strange, Thor, and Loki together. So just whatever is going on. I mean, because that little hint at the end of Doctor Strange, the 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 post credit scene, Thor was in New York looking for Loki, right? Yeah. If I'm remembering that correctly, yeah. So I, I'm I'm just excited about whatever is going on with that little storyline. And Homeless Odin. I'm assuming all of that will come together in the New York part of this intergalactic road trip. And that that's what I'm most looking forward to. So who knows what in November I'll be most excited about after the movie. Yeah, I think for me, I'm just so excited about the Planet Hulk part. Like that is one of my two or three favorite comic storylines that I've read uh, in the last year or so. I've gone through and binged a lot of stuff on Marvel Unlimited, and I love Planet Hulk. And so I'm a little bit nervous because it seems like that stuff's coming at the beginning of the movie, that what I'm going to walk away from it is like, oh yeah, that's that movie that has an awesome first act with Planet Hulk. And then they do some other stuff, you know, like kind of like the airport scene kind of overshadows the rest of Civil War. Um, And for some people like that Doctor Strange magical mystery tour is really a bigger deal than the climax of the movie. I'm just suspicious that the Gladiator games is what's really going to be the best part. Um, which will be fine. I mean, if they knock that out of the park, I'll be happy 45 minutes in and YTT can do whatever else he wants. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the year. Um, we talked a little bit about Runaways and Cloak and Dagger last week. Um, there's a possibility that we'll get Runaways this year. In fact, I think it's a probability that we'll get it this year. But uh, if you want to hear our thoughts on that, listen to last week's show. Uh, We're not sure sure if it's coming this year or not. Uh, It's weird because Cloak and Dagger, we've heard, is definitely 2018. But it's filming at the same time as Runaways. So who knows how all that stuff works and how the networks decide what to hold back and put out. But is there anything else that I've missed from 2017's calendar, Rhiannon, that you wanted to talk about? Not that I can think of. It's a lot. There's a lot coming. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if there ever is, like, for the public at large, if there ever such a thing as Marvel fatigue. And then I'm interested if, like, I have a Marvel fatigue level. Like, I don't think I do. I think you could throw as much as possible at me and I'd still be excited. But who knows? Maybe at some point I'll be like, okay, guys, enough's enough. Well, and this, I mean, we're just talking about the MCU Marvel, you know, outside of it, the world is getting 
Legion and I guess uh, Logan. Yep. And um, probably not. Is there is Deadpool two coming out in twenty seventeen? No, it'll be next okay. year, I think. Yeah, you know there there's a lot of other Marvel. You know, even if we just don't look at all the other comic book properties and stuff like right. that, there's a lot of Marvel coming out, folks. And they're going to start doing the Miles Morales animated Spider-Man movie soon. I think that's 2018 as well. But yeah, there's no shortage of content. Um, I do know that like my movie wallet is going to start to run out. Like some of this DC stuff is waiting to Redbox because I just can't take myself to that many movies. You know, like enough is enough. So... Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just not going to stop. Yeah, yeah. So let's see. I hope the enthusiasm keeps going. And they have enough diversity. They have so many different things that even if people get sick of intergalactic road trips, they'll still have, uh, you know, defenders. Or they'll still have, you know, a war movie with the Punisher or whatever it ends up being. Um, so maybe if, you, you know, people get tired of one thing, there'll still be plenty. Yeah. Well, I think we probably should wrap it up. Um, I forgot to do this last week, but Rhiannon, go ahead and tell us where, you can, where we can find you on Twitter and about Super Ladies and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can find me on the Twitter as shot of Patron. Send me all your hate mail. That's, that's the podcast policy. Send me the hate mail. If you like us, send it to Caleb. Um, I also have another podcast, super lateys, which is a a lot less structured and a lot less edited and cleaned up than what we have here at the MCU exchange, but where we talk about all things vanish and, um, yeah, I love to hear from folks. I'm at um, Twitter as Caleb A. Borchers. I can't even remember my own. I think that's it. Uh, <laughs> that's I'm not it. on Twitter a lot. I have about 20 followers. I'd love for you all to join us. Uh, also, keep tweeting at us at the um, hashtag MCUXpod. I'm actually going to pull that up real quick to shout out... Um, the one guy who has been responding to us well on there. So uh, here's a shout out to Mr. Jack Hammer at something unpronounceable. Uh, he's been asking us some questions or just telling us keep it going that he likes listening. So Jack, we appreciate it. I uh, hope you guys, you have a great day, man. So that's all I've got for this episode. We will see you next week to talk more about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and hopefully we'll have some casting news soon for Inhumans and Cloak and Dagger and Runaways and all that kind of stuff. So until then, we'll see you later. Bye, everybody.